everyone. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Board Game Gambit Podcast. Silver screen to gamer's dream. Today we're talking about games that we hope will come out of the minds of people who have made movies. Movies translated into board games. Joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Hello, everyone. So as you have seen, we have been having a, a somewhat irregular schedule. So I wanted to give you a very quick behind the curtain. There are basically <laughs> three reasons we, we don't follow a schedule like we would want. One is life is busy, uh, especially um, under the holidays. And there are, there are then two kind of uh, me messing up stuff. One is in which I can paint myself as the hero, basically, is when work is too much to edit. And so we record and then I don't edit, I don't edit, I don't edit, but there I feel very good. And then there is when I simply forget to, sh- uh, to show up, which is what happened last week. So and <laughs> the longer than usual wait. Uh, thank you for the two of you that in person um, reach out to, to know what, what was going on. So that, that feels good. But we are now here. How are you in general? <laughs> I'm good. I'm also very busy, uh, so I'm taking on a new role at my uh, current job, and I am also starting a Etsy shop. Wow! So yeah, so I'm I'm doing a lot of things right now. <laughs> What's the Etsy shop about? Uh, we're selling crystals, actually. Because oh. we we have a collection of crystals, and we would like to share our love of crystals with other people. Nice. So, yeah, there's lots of things going on. <laughs> I'm in the process of changing jobs, which is supposed to be a moment in which you, you don't have a lot of deadlines, but somehow I, I keep being quite busy with work as well. And we are finally settling in, in the new house. We got Kallax, which wasn't the plan, but then they happened. So now we have two Kallax full of games and more shelves being being put in. So some of the boxes of games that were occupying my living room are now in other places. But there are still more boxes that is reasonable to have in general. So I don't know what, what happened. But excellent, what excellent. There's always, if you have more space for games, more games just happen. That's how it goes. Well, we don't have more space for games yet, and still we, we got more more games when we came back from the Christmas break. We were supposed to get only Heat, and instead we got like 500 euros of board games because we <gasps> hadn't bought anything for six months, so we, we, we splurged. Uh, and by the way, we ordered... So we, we went to a store, to an online store, because they had heat. And by the time we chose everything we wanted, etc., and it's one of those stores um, that the more you buy, the more the percentage of the of the discount goes up. Hence mm-hmm. super big buy. Sure. And, and then by the time we were ready to check out and it took like two days or something, they didn't have heat in store in stock anymore. So we ordered heat elsewhere and then the next day i get the shipping deli- the delivery notification and we had ordered the finnish and danish version of the game because it's oh game. no but apparently it's um what is called language independent so, okay so when it comes in i will be happy i printed out english rules just in case so what that, is this game heat pedal to the metal it's a racing game that I saw in Hessen 
usually I don't like racing games. Um, Formula D was the only one that I played and I got rid of it. But this is by the guys who made um, Flamme Rouge, which I didn't mind at all, although I never got around to get it. And I got a demo at Essen and even the base game was very exciting, very fun and fast. And it comes with a bunch of modules, so it sounds very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Assuming it's actually language independent. I know that the base game is, the modules seem to be. Um, but maybe I will have to find a Finnish friend and gift it to them. I, I hope not. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope to find a Finnish friend, but not to gift them my, my copy of Heat. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and the last thing is in in keeping with the, with the theme of today, for the first time in, I think, two years, we finally went back to the movie theater. Oh, wow. It's exciting. Yeah, we're trying to go every week now. Um, it's still a little weird, but yeah, um, it, it has been nice. For sure, for sure. Have you, so did you play your copy of Heat? No, it's not here yet. Oh, it's still coming. Okay. The one thing, uh, I mean, we got a few new things, but the one that we managed to play um, was Wayfarer of the South Tigris. Oh, okay. Which is the first one in the new series of uh, Sham Phillips' um, games. He, he closed the West Kingdom trilogy. Mm -hmm. And then he, he started this new one. And interestingly enough, we played... So we are trying again. We failed once, so we, we decided to try again to this calendar year. We would like to play all the games in uh, in our collection. Oh, my. Which is strange, though, because often when I do relearn a game or take it out of the box and I, I want to play it again a couple of times in the next few weeks, while now we have to, to keep moving. But anyhow, we had played Paladins and then we played Wayfarer of the South Tigris, which... It's very different in the mechanism. Uh, you have a turn in which you use some dice. You roll the dice and you use them on your tableau, or you send workers to a common area in the middle. And you do a bunch of things, gain cards, mostly gain cards, that then combo or develop your dice abilities, things like that. And I liked it quite a bit. Anna was not as... as fascinated with it but one thing that she said stuck with me and then I kept thinking about it was that it she said that it felt like you could do whatever but in the end didn't make a lot of a difference what you were doing I think mm. that might be overstating a little bit but it is true that it felt complicated there are, were a lot of complicated mechanism things to get a certain amount uh, of prerequisites and uh, get tokens to be able to activate the dates the, the dice in one way or another but it is true that in the end it felt like it was very open um to the point that i don't know how much the interaction there are a lot of points of interaction but they didn't come into play that much i wonder if it is because we were only two players but so far i like it um on par with uh, Viscount, Viscount, okay, uh, which is the least favorite of the West Kingdom for me. So both Paladins and Architects and Raiders of the North Sea, I like much better. Well, fun fact: this is the first Shem Phillips game that I did not kickstart. So I'm glad that it is giving you mixed reviews because 
I would have had I because I I saved it on Kickstarter, but I didn't actually because I've kind of taken a break from Kickstarter. Um, the day that like five Kickstarters showed up all together, I was like, I'm kind of done with this. Oh, also, <laughs> also, fun fact. Um, remember when you were talking last episode about uh the Kraken game? Yes. I was like, why does this sound so familiar? Why does this sound so familiar? It was in my basement. <laughs> uh, I kickstarted the deluxe version, of course. Uh, but so I have that sitting unopened in my basement and Blood on the Clock Tower because there are games that I saw that they came and then they instantly were like the player counts are much too high for anything that I'm doing right now. So I was like, I'm just going to put them in my basement. So, uh, yeah, I own that game. <laughs> Did you play the... Um, you got the Miner versus Sleeping Beast game, right? Yes. Did you play it yet? Yes, I like it. What's what's the name? Uh, you, uh, you have been eaten? Uh, you have been, so you have been eaten. That, and it's good. It's good, yeah. I remember looking at it because of the gimmicky nature of it, that you can mm-hmm. play with zero players, but I was wondering how, how the g- gameplay was. I like it with, with two players. I haven't played it with one or zero, <laughs> but um, with two players, I liked it. I played the Beast both times, and both times I like crushed the Miner. Okay. Like, really by a lot. Like, so, um, I think... Either I'm not playing it right, or <laughs> or maybe... Or you're the, playing it very right. Or right, exactly. Too right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, it's, I'm interested in that. Um, I, I'm interested in more plays also. Speaking of two-player games... <sighs> no, I'm not going to remember the name of it. It's the Witch game. Witch Stones? No. Give me a clue. <laughs> Where is it? I have no idea. Oh no. Oh no. I can't. I don't know. Well, I did play quite a bit of um Feed the Kraken and it's interesting that despite being um social deduction kind of game we played it also with people we had never met before, and it still worked quite well. The risk with those games is that sometimes it's very group dependent. Like if you play with your friends, it's fine. While instead, it worked even with people that we didn't know because we went to a local mini convention basically, and it was supposedly more war game targeted, but with war games particularly with miniatures, so something that we really don't don't play, like those big ancient battles or Warhammer 40k and things like that. Um, but then when we got there, well, we, we, we knew that there would have been some war games and they were very nice um, nice people, so we met, we met a few new people. It was strange because we expected it to be bigger, so by the time we got there, it was a smaller event and they, everyone was very local. We were not too far. It was in Limerick, which is an hour from here, so it's not like we travel. Yeah, yeah. Days, but but still, everyone else was the local community, uh, with the exception of another guy, Sean, we, which we knew already. And with with Sean and uh, his son, well, we played Kalimambo, but then we played um, Wonderland Wars. 
I love Wonderland Wars. It was my first play of it, and I had a, a strange reaction to it. So I hesitated backing it back when, because it looked another one of those big Kickstarter that sometimes are too much. Yes. Then when I got it, it looked amazing, but it also looked very colorful, and I, I feared it was like, a, I don't know, a Flamecraft on steroid. And Flamecraft was fine, but I feared, oh, so much stuff for a game that is particularly simple. Then I read the rules, and instead I was worried of the opposite. Oh, wait, each... Sorry, it's a, it's a game in which you build your bag, and then you go to fight other players, and you have a push-your-luck-slash-bag-building mechanism, and in each each chip that you put in your bag as some kind of special ability that can grow when you develop more special abilities <laughs> of your own. So I was worried of the opposite. Oh, did they go, again, like a, a Great Wall kind of thing? So many rules. And instead, it, it hit, I think, really the right spot. Yeah. Uh, both Anna and I have very different taste, well, not very different, but somewhat different taste in, in area-controlled things. For example, she hated Rising Sun, which I like quite a bit. Uh, we both like it. The other two people at the table really like it. I think four is also a very good, good thing. I re I was really happy with it. It's also I think the the miniatures are a little superfluous. The the standees were very nice. We played with the miniatures, but I but everything else that was upgraded instead in the Kickstarter from the bags to the chips that was very very nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, I found the name of the game. Yes, what it's is it? Pagan Fate of Roanoke. Oh, tell me more because I haven't even heard of it. Um, so it is it's a 1v1 and there's uh, you play one of the townspeople and the townspeople are the witch and then um, the other person is a witch hunter and they're trying to find out who you are. Um, mm -hmm. They said that the expansion balances it a little better. So I'm hopeful that that is true because I feel like it's very hard for the witch to win um, unless they're playing against me because, because I am not one of those people that like, I, I think that's why I don't like war games and things like that where you have to like plan and be very tactical and like, like, strictly war games like and i think that's why like what you mentioned rising sun i do like rising sun because it has not only the war element but it also has the upgrades and the monsters and the lots of other things that go into it um but like a straight i need to plan this out 100 percent to you know counter something uh, that that just is not me because i like playing a little more fast and loose i guess and so when I played as the witch hunter, I basically, they were going between these like two people over and over. And I was like, okay, it's one of the two. So let me just, you know, aim for one person. And I aim for them and I shot and I missed. And when you miss, it's really punishing. It's like you reset your side and you're like starting over from like nothing. So it was like really bad for me. <laughs> uh, and then the witch one. They were like, well, surprise, it was the other one. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even seen it. It, it looks involved. Mm -hmm. It, it, the playtime is not 
correct. Okay. Uh, it says 30 to 60 minutes. I would say um, when you're playing against two people that are like both evenly matched at it, I'd say it probably takes closer to an hour and a half. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. I really like it. I think it's a very interesting game. You mentioned Rising Sun, and I just wanted to say that, as you know, I like it, but not only Anna, but I had other friends who didn't really didn't jive for them. And um, I have a friend here, Mike, who had the same experience. He liked it, but it was difficult to pull in other people. And mm-hmm. so we want to try, which is something that I rarely do, but to try a modification, right? like a big house rule, not just a minor thing. We would like to try to, at the beginning of the war phase, half for every player the amount of money they have. So after you generate money with your special abilities, you play the game, and and then before the battle, you have it. Because my idea was that a lot of what paralyzes people makes the game slower and also makes it feel sometimes so... I think that you think that I think double thinking to the point of randomness is the fact that there is this big spread. And so sometimes you lose a battle or you lose a category because I put five coins and you put four. Mm-hmm. And there is no way that I actually knew you were putting four, right? It's just that. And so when you half that down, that could either break the game completely. It's obviously possible because when you, you mess with something so crucial, that could happen. But vice versa, it could put it down to more of what I want to bid on rather than trying to determine the exact amount of coins that will get you something rather than nothing. And so we will try it at least once with this very big... I mean, I mean and I realize that is risky, but the alternative for both him and me is probably getting rid of the game because it's hard to to have people play it. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I want to try. So that's actually kind of interesting because um, it kind of reminds me of Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? Yeah, you, you spoke about it last time, I think. Or two, two, two episodes ago. Um, so it's very interesting to me because... I've never played a a truly fixed sort of bidding um, because you the f- I don't remember if it's first or last player has more cubes um, and then ties are broken based on whoever had less cubes it's in favor of them and so it's super interesting because you're only dealing with you know exactly how many cubes everyone has. So it's bidding more on what is the most important action for yourself. So I think that that is super streamlined for that game. And I think that definitely minimizing how many coins you have during the war phase of Rising Sun would help a lot with that. I know, speaking from my personal experience, I do feel sort of paralyzed when we start the war phase. I'm like, oh my god, okay, so you're in this one, and you're in this one, and you're in this one, so you're probably only going to spend, like, three this time, but you could spend probably up to seven. So if you have seven, and you do that, then you're going to put it on this, and that, and this, and this, and so I need to split my seven, so it just, like, weighs it down so heavy. And that's the point. The hope is that by playing with half that, you still have the interesting decision. What do I really care for? What Mm -hmm. are you going for? Maybe you're putting nothing, but at least you don't have that extreme range, right? It, it becomes more uh, 
is he going for imperial poets or is he going for hostage? Rather than is he going four on imperial poets and three on hostage or is he going five on hostage and two on imperial poets? So adding a lot of, yeah. remember that there is a lot of, oh, no, 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 wait, wait. I may want to move one coin and everyone does it and the game gets longer and longer and also a little more frustrating. Um, the last weird thing, I, I, I was lucky that I have played a lot over the break, but uh, last time I forgot one that was very strange. Mantis Fall. Have you seen it? Mm, so, let's see. It's very strange visually, very intriguing, I must say, visually. It's it wants to give a kind of a vintage or um, family um, artifact kind of feeling. It has little cloth bags. The cards are very strangely painted, etc. The idea of the game is that it's a two-player game with a variant for three, but the main game is a two-player game that you don't know whether it's a cooperative or not. The theme is that two people are running from the mobsters, but they might be two people running from the mobsters or one of them might be the assassin trying to kill the other guy. And you are trying either to make it both safe to the end or if you're the killer, kill the other guy. And if you are the other guy, you realize that your partner is the killer and kill them. So there is this kind of prisoner dilemma. If you don't want to kill the other guy, if he's good, otherwise you both lose. But if he's the killer and manages to kill you and you are getting damage from the game while you are moving and so you are can either help the other player or hinder them all of this was very cool the gameplay itself was quite not just not great but also quite boring oh a lot of flip a card this card will make four damages to you unless you play a collective card damage of four Okay, I'm playing two. Are you playing two? Yes. Okay, next card. This we cannot defeat. We get some damage. And there are like a couple of special effects, but not nearly enough to make it any interesting to me. Um, it was strange because I enjoyed the play because I was learning the new thing. And um, it was uh, with my friend Giovanni, who, who that it doesn't play a lot of, of games. And so it was interesting to see him explain and see how, how things click differently for different people. But for me, it wasn't it wasn't a great game. I mean, I had fun, but um, that same night we played Welcome to the Dungeon, which is much, much easier. And I, mm. I heard that. <laughs> um, anything else interesting that you played? Uh, I don't remember if I talked about it last time, but it was Great Western Trail. No, you didn't. Yeah, um, so that's the an Alexander Fister game. Which version? The original one that I own. Um, Had you played it before? Yes, I've I've played it a few times. I like it. Every time I play it, it's it goes very differently, and I don't know if that's like a benefit of replayability or if it's like. I'm still, like, very new to it and trying to figure out different strategies. Because, like, one time I played it with my friend Dan, and he, like, sold all his cows. Like, got rid of all of them. Like, we had a building that, like, you could basically mill your... Or, not mill, um, like, get out of, of your deck, all this stuff. And he had, like, four cards left. and But he had, like, no money. Like, it was really weird. It was a really... He kept moving his train... But, like, not 
doing much else. It was, I don't, I don't know. It was just a very weird experience. It has been a, a long, long time since I played it. I remember playing it two or three times the year it came out and basically never since. It's one of those games where it's not a game that I refuse to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a game that I bought nor a game that I asked to play ever. Um, I think that most people I was playing with um, didn't particularly care for, so it didn't came out again. I, I found it very neat. Um, everything felt into place in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Alexander Fister's games sometimes get very involved. For example, I really like Mombasa. It's probably my favorite of his but it has a lot of moving parts, the tracks and the action cards that come back to you and you have to figure them out and the area majority on the board, etc. Maracaibo is another one that I like, but each card does something slightly different. Uh, um, Great Western Trail was more organic, more coherent in a way. And I really like that. Um, But... I don't remember much about it. I remember liking the cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sell your cows and and you make this trip up to Kansas City and you you sell the cows and you can sell as far as the train has gone or you can pay a little extra to sell them further and there are benefits if you connect things and there are negative things if you connect certain cities and it's a lot, but I, I do like it. So it's a it's a good a good solid solid game. I have heard good things about the new version and the new versions. There, there is not only a second edition, but also they did a Great Western Trail Argentina and Great Western Trail something else. And not mm. only they look very very neat uh, graphically, but also I've heard very good things. Although um, I asked explicitly a couple of friends, and everyone said. Is not going to make you like the game or the system if you didn't like it the first time. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, that means that if you do like the first one, there is a very good chance that you will appreciate the new ones. Um, I'm wondering, again, not having played any of the new ones and not remembering the old one enough, but from what I've heard from people, it seems to be a little bit too close. I don't mm-hmm. understand why uh, having the new one if it is so close to the old one. But to be fair, that's true of Brass, Lancaster, um, and that had a great, great success. So apparently that kind of thing works, uh, having a game that innovates but without moving away from a previous game. So Yeah, we saw it at Gen Con, the Great Western Trail, Argentina, and we got like the little blurb about it. It added a new worker, and I was just, I was like, okay, and what else? <laughs> and, and so it was just kind of like, oh, but the that worker can go to this small board that's like attached to the side, or it, like I was like, okay, but what else? And it was just like kind of the like even the like pathway kind of looks similar, so it was just very like samey to me, and I. I was like, I already own the one. I don't really need the same game. I'd rather have a another game to sit and shrink on my shelf for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Getting into the meat and potatoes of our episode today is 
talking about the silver screen. So movies that we would like to see as board games. So I would like to start with something that is kind of, I was kind of joking when I put this on my list, but I also, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this would actually be really fun to make. So I present you with my joke turned real submission of Clue the Movie. So now you're making making a board game based on the movie that's based on the board game. Okay, I see the joke part. Explain (laughs) the other part. I don't know, I just think that it would be... I think it would be, like, a really fun, like, logic puzzle thing that you could do, like, specifically about, like, the the bullets and the gun, like, that's one plus two plus one plus one. Like, something, like, along those lines, I thought it could be fun like that. Um... But I don't know. I just, that movie holds a special place in my heart. So that's why I was like, I kind of want to add it to the list anyway. I must say that there is something about the the movie that is not in the game, which is sudden appearances. Uh, There is constant, oh, now this or now this person specifically. And that completely not in Clue that has a linear development, right? Everything is set at the beginning in the board game and you are moving through it. So while obviously the theme is the same, oh, murder, mystery, or whatever, you have to figure out the murderer, not only obviously I'm not uh, a great fan of Clue, but also this idea of constant introduction of new things <laughs> could, could work quite well. Um, in spirit, although nothing with, with that, um, have you played Awkward Guest? No. Not even with us? No, Scott played Scott it. Scott played And I think that gets close to that. It's like a gamer version of Clue, where the, the nice thing is that the, the, the murder makes sense. So you are figuring out way more things than in, the, than in Clue, but mostly the things make sense. So it's not simply, oh, I see a card from your hand. Is I see a card from your hand that says that this door was closed. Therefore, this room cannot have been crossed by the assassin. I know that this person would have crossed there, so they cannot be the assassin. And that's really cool. Uh, I wonder if, well, I am quite confident that trying to make a good version of Clue was their goal. I am surprised that in this time of IPs coming out of everywhere, there are a bunch of games with IPs, I don't think that the Clue movie probably has very expensive IP, but there is the problem of copyright with the original Clue. Right. So that's, that's why. So maybe a Knives Out game could, could be, <laughs> be that, that level. Uh, one of the things that I found when, when thinking of this list was trying to steer away from simply um, games that I like, uh, sorry, movies that I like and that I want to see made into... Um, a game, and the other thing was games that are simply straight up historical. Um, I don't know Michael Collins, a game about um, a movie about the the in Irish independence or the wind that shakes the Bali. There are two movies that I really like, but they talk about the Irish civil war basically and the Irish independence from the British. So it would be simply be a GMT adaptation, and maybe they exist already. Is so well, the fact that I like the movie doesn't make it anything different than a history uh, game. 
Sure. Um, so one that I, uh, when I was trying to come up with some, one that is uh, an exception to that because it's uh, definitely not uh, historical is uh, Leon by Luc Besson. So it's the story of a killer that is training a young killer, which is Natalie Portman, who's 12, I think, in the movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it has this kind of sniper lit idea of you are picking the target, but there are also personal interrelationship between the two. And so it would be interesting to have, I don't know, the two characters that are trying to score their objectives, but also playing cards to gain favor with the other character or something like that, while a third character, a third player, is trying to capture them or evade their killing. Um, And it was, when I was thinking of games that I like, sorry, of movies that I like, I realized that I usually don't like games about uh, killers and things like that because specifically they are reduced to the killing. And so if there was a way to keep this human dimension of something that is unpleasant, um, that would be an interesting approach to a game. I don't think it would have a great uh, audience, <laughs> a great uh, mass appeal, but it's sure. interesting to see. Uh, one that I had was in the musical realm, and I said Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a fun game. I thought it would be like you have to have like really good reputation, um, and then you have to, uh, as you get higher reputation, you get to you know shave slash kill the more reputable, prestigious people, and you earn like more points or whatever. I don't know that that one. I thought it kind of like lend itself to to being a board game. Yes, this actually, I, I envision it as a, a meeting, emerging of Abominable, the game about um, uh, Frankenstein and collecting bodies and trying to be the best mm-hmm. scientist, and the bloody inn with uh, making money and trying to hide the bodies. Yep. Um, so clearly, you sh- I, I think that while the name would be Sweeney Todd, everyone would try to be a very murdery barber i don't know they were probably trying to purge the world of <laughs> people or whatever it is yeah and so i don't think it would be a, a worker placement game because it's or not mainly because it would be too serious but you would have certainly a lot of people cards and obviously killing the mayor would be more high risk than killing i don't know the foreigner right something like that but i think i would like for them to have a specific identity, like Major Tom something and <laughs> the merchant uh, Alina Thompson or whatever, and uh, and they have some some value and some risk factor, and maybe some of them have a special ability. Um, well, but then you have to also they have to be like multi use cards because on the other side is the type of pie that they turn into. Yes, yes, and uh, <laughs> because they sell, they slide down the tube and they ter- get turned into meat pies. As long as you don't turn it into an economic game where every turn the value of the different pies changes with the, <laughs> with the of, of the people, because then it becomes strange. Yes, um, 
I, I think I would like it. Also because um, I was, uh, at first, I really liked um, the Bloody Inn. The theme was different. Mm. The theme. But I played it a few times, not many. And even those few, it felt you were doing almost the same thing, trying to get an engine going and doing it over and over again until the game was over. Um, while this, again, having a lot of different little factors, even if it were not the most balanced of games, but if they add a lot of different things, uh, again, the cards that you can use both ways, and maybe even the people, you can either kill them or you can give food to them, one of the two, the same card, um, and you they kept it to, to a shorter, uh, more dynamic version, it, it would be good. Mm-hmm. What designer would you envision for for it, or what for what games? Oh gosh, I don't know. I, that would be I, that would be tough. I think. I mean, uh, not for the theme. I don't. I don't think of any designer. I go. Oh, they seem like the right <laughs> about the psychotic serial killer. No, right. but I think for the kind of level of complexity that I want, I think an end to Ambausa kind mm. of thing. Mm-hmm. So keep it moving, not not too serious. Obviously, not that Antoine Bowser ever does anything about murdering people. I'm talking strictly from a game mechanic. Sure, sure, sure. Because yeah, you don't I can want, see it. Uh, you don't want to get into a Stefan Feld complexity level. No, no, no. That would be too much. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think I, uh, if he's listening, he won't do it anyhow because he likes more... Um, light case (laughs) another one of mine which i suspect that some games must exist with this with this theme but one that i would like to see done well and in a neat way is a terminator kind of thing okay um and i'm thinking not a specific movie but specifically spanning the the three or four or how many there are now um (laughs) so because that would have a clean um, time traveling aspect where there is a succession of things that happen, not many, maybe having three nodes like uh, the rise of Skynet, the defeat of humanity and the final battle or something. And you keep traveling back and forth, um, trying to change how those go, depending on uh, you want certain heroes to be protagonists. Maybe you want Sarah Connor to be the hero or John Connor to be the hero. And uh, the, the, there are different models of Terminator. And obviously, uh, Schwarzenegger uh, is the one that can be either good or bad because mm-hmm. in the first is bad and in the second is good. And so you can flip it at the right time. And I don't know if I want it to be all competitive or like a 1v1 where one player is playing the machines and the other is playing the humans. So I don't know where it's at, but it should have a track where you prepare for this plus what you do instead without traveling through time. So simply making Skynet stronger or making the nuclear defenses more secure or whatever. But I would I would like that. So whenever I hear time travel, I instantly think of an acrony and I'm like, Oh my god, that would be so crazy to have it like on an anachrony level. Like you have to get the time machine correct to get to the specific time to get to the Oh my god, like that would be like so <laughs> overwhelming. Each area of time would have like three mini rounds that you're trying to to 
to interact three moments that you are trying to interact with so not only you are going to a specific period like the 80s or the 2000 or the sure. 2050 whatever but also in each of those there is for example if you go to young corner area you have when he's a kid when he's a teenager and when he's an adult and so you can try and maybe you can play cards face down or something like that i have no idea who could design something like that um but if i had to go with someone i mean it's kind of a of a cheap out but it's cory knizia because he has done a lot of work on on movies and uh, he has done battles galactica he's done sure. Star Wars and also his last one uh, the three thousand scoundrels has a, a weird thing. He, he likes tra- time traveling themes. So uh, get cracking, Corey. Yeah, I need. <laughs> I need uh, because I, I I'm sure I have seen some Terminator the board game, but uh-huh. um, I have no memory of it. So it was probably simply a position thing and and shoot them. Uh, let's see, Terminator. But I mean, Simon has to make it right. Oh, so we have 60, 16 models of, of Schwarzenegger that they are slightly different. Yes. I mean, the most recent, which has a, a very successful 4.5 on BGG, <gasps> ranks 20, not, it doesn't rank 23,000, it ranks 22,999th, so clearly a quality game, is... Play as the humans or the machines in a war fought in 1984 and 2029. Uh, but it didn't get a lot of good, a lot of good comments. Um, uh, the game was never produced or delivered to Kickstarter backers. Oh, so maybe it was an amazing game. It's just no one ever got it. Oh. We will never get this game. Okay, sorry to anyone, listener, uh, who I triggered traumas. <laughs> Or, right? It's like, like, oh no. Yeah. This is like dinner with Dracula all over again. Yeah, or what uh, Monumental might turn into for, for you. Allegedly, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Allegedly. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll trust you. Uh, I actually I actually think that they will do something because it, it's, it, it's not an unknown quantity. They are just having some snafus but yeah okay bringing one more i feel creative right now or at least i feel like i'm creative in telling people what they should do so i would like this game because it was a very special movie when i grew up but i feel like it would also lend itself to a very expansive like you could release this game and then like a a future expansion and a future expansion and a future expansion land before time okay i don't know the movie what (gasps) it's a little cartoon about dinosaurs this is homework then then i do know it i think uh it's just that in italian it was a different uh one I was like, oh no, you have to watch it now. Uh, yeah, 1988. Yes. yes, yes, I know it very well. It's just, in Italian, it translates as looking for the enchanted valley for some reason. Um, because they're looking for the, the valley. So that's, that's why. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah. But okay, so it's an exploration game and it's 
and it's very narrative in nature, kind of like stuff fables meets the Crusoe crew. Cause I really liked what the Crusoe crew did where you went with different people and the different people had special powers and based on who went the, you all would open to the same page, but they would like one could speak to animals. One could have super strength and one. So like there's five different people, like little dinosaurs and you could have them go on like little adventures and based on, you know, which ones went, they would have special powers and they could, you know, do certain things. So I thought that would be very fun. And I think it has marketability because I think a lot of people are very fond of that time period. Like, especially like millennials are very fond of like the, the late eighties, early nineties. And I feel like a lot of things are making a comeback, but I don't feel like this has really had that kind of a moment. Yeah. And I think at the same time, it's, it's a cute and innocuous theme. So even for people who don't have the nostalgia, it's still as cute cute dinosaurs, right? So it's not it's not something super strange like a Terminator game would be to someone who doesn't know what it is. It's cute dinosaurs doing things. So do you envision it um, as a one kind of one playthrough, like um, either a legacy or a scenario-based thing? Yeah, I think that's I think that would be the best way for it. Like, like a very more family-friendly and easy-to-solve version of uh, Seven Continents where you flip a card, something happens, and you choose where to go, and each dinosaur is good at doing something, so you move them around this map that evolves, not to a thousand cards. Sure. Like <laughs> Would be nice. And uh, there is a game that does something vaguely similar in terms of telling a story, although the map is fixed, then um, Adventures in Never- Neverland or something like that. Okay. Um, and they have a little deck that tells the story of each character, plus a deck that there are like six scenario s- scenarios. So in each scenario, you can also play a different character among the ones that are there. So you have a little more variability. But it would it would be nice. Um, I am not up to speed on creators of one playthrough games, so I will have to go with. Uh, Davio, Rob, Rob Davio, because <laughs> because he does legacy stuff, and he doesn't he doesn't mind um, doing lighter themes. He has done um, uh, Dark Tower and uh, Unmatched, and he, he doesn't only do very serious things. So I think that would be good. And he, he has done Betrayal, mm-hmm. the House on the Hill Legacy. So. My pick for for this is Rob Davio. And I would want Plaid Hat Games to make it. Ooh, yes. Yes, that's that's very true. Um, (laughs) What? I don't don't have an artist to the top of my mind right now, but... But, like, I just think of, like, Forgotten Waters, Mice and Mystics, Stuff Fables. Yes, even the new... The new Summoner Wars, the I mean, that's more fighty in style, but the, the, the very colorful, cartoonish style of the art, I quite like. Mm-hmm. I have a last one for me. Um, and on this, I almost broke both of the, the, the guiding principles that I had before. Is uh, not only a movie that I really, really like, um, 
but also historical in nature. But um, because of all the stories told, I think it would not simply be a, a war game of I have the, uh, this army, you have this army, and we are recreating this battle. And it's Braveheart. Okay. And I think to avoid it being simply a GMT, oh, you are the Scots and you are the Irish and you are the I, the English and the French and you, you try to make them work, it should be more on the gathering the clans and uh, courting favor with the, with the nobles. You are trying to be the one that that frees Scotland from, from the enemy, but you are doing it through... Uh, so you're gathering influence with different tracks in different clans and then when you're ready, you can try and win the game by fighting the English and being the leader. And if you lose, you're out. And then the next player can can try. It should be under an hour because with player elimination, you don't want to be too long. Um, but I have no idea of how the mechanism could, could, could work. But I would really like it. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Also, uh, to me, it has a brave heart has a specific connection to, to board games in general because when I was in middle school, it was um, the our favorite movie of me and my friend Dario. And so we would keep it on VHS, ongoing, while we would play anything. So we were playing <laughs> Blood Bowl and we had that on the background. We were playing Magic the Gathering and we had that on the background. So we saw it. I think dozens and dozens of times. <laughs> so it's a game that makes me think of summer and playing board games, even if it's not the most uh, teenager-friendly of teams. But yeah, I had nine to five. You lost me again. Oh no! It's this a, I, I actually don't know. It's a Dolly Parton movie. Oh well, uh, no! Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda and. Oh, I don't remember the other one. It, it, it's Lily Tomlin, I feel bad. But Lily Tomlin, she's awesome also. With American comedies, it's very easy. If our friend Tom likes them and therefore he made us watch it, we know it. Otherwise, we don't know it. And this, we never saw. <laughs> well, what is the theme? well, now now I, I would like to impart this as your homework to watch nine to five with Anna and tell me what you think of it. Um, add it to the list. <laughs> uh, so basically it's about three women who, um, so it's, it was made in 1980. I'm going to say that first because the, it's about three women who are kind of mistreated in the workplace and they, but it's a comedy because they like think about different ways to get back at their boss and they have like fantasies about them. And, and then they, I don't want to spoil, spoil it, but basically like he mistreats them and, and you know, they find, they find ways of solving problems. Um, he has an assistant that also like spies for him that like goes around the office. So, I think that it would be a very interesting like worker placement game. Like you would have to like pre-plan your like where you're sending your worker and then like the you never know where like the the spy is going to turn up, but you might know where the boss is going to turn up. Or like you you have like limited information as to like where 
kind of like um Ido. I don't I don't think I've played that one before. Ido is a worker placement in which uh it's set in Imperial Japan. Oh yeah 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 yeah. No 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 I know what you're talking about now, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh like that. Um or uh like kind of like Luna too. Mm-hmm. With the negative and so would you pick where to send your workers with like cards? You put three cards. You have a card for each space or for each area of the board. Yeah. And you put maybe two or three um, in front of you and you flip them. And those are the three point places you visit. But if you get caught by either the boss or the, the spy or whatever, maybe one of them makes you lose the next card and the other one instead reduces the amount of resources you get. Right, exactly. And what are you trying to accomplish? Like moving on tracks, getting resources? What what do you envision it being? Yeah, I think it would be tracks because you're you're trying to they're trying to become like successful business women. So I think like a like a track of like knowledge and maybe a track of like money or I don't know. It it seems like there's a lot of possibilities for it. Um and I don't think that there is a a game of that. And I, I for this I could see a lot of different designers because actually it sounds like a very straightforward um light hero, not a, a super yeah. involved thing. But it could be could be something that not is recent work, but early Feld could have mm-hmm. done, but also Luciani or Gigli could have done something mm-hmm. with three cards and then you flip them and uh, you get maybe something just for choosing it and then when you go there you have a little menu of two or three actions that you can take Ah, I, I can see that I need to watch the movie to know if it's doable <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's a really good movie you should definitely watch it I will, I will check it out that is the second time I mentioned 9 to 5 today Someone asked me how long the pharmacy was open. And I said nine to five, just as just as Dolly Parton intended. And they kind of looked at me and they're like, what? And I was like, like the movie, nine to five, nine, nine to five. We're open nine to five. Where they recognize it? <laughs> they did. After he, he was like, ah, you got me there. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was confused. I was like, it's okay. <laughs> So you didn't have to tell them, well, now you go home, you watch the movie. No, and then you no. they didn't have any homework. Unlike you, you have homework. <laughs> like me. Uh, I, will, I will check it out. I, I tend to like um, at least the act of watching the comedies. Even I, I don't know if I would like this, but I tend to like exploring comedies because comedies don't translate much. So a lot of the the references and the spirit of the comedy to me wouldn't have made sense before spending time in the U.S. Well, I mean, of U.S. comedies, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so it's it's a, always an interesting activity, even when I end up not liking the movie. So I, I will I will do it for sure. Uh, that's how I am with British humor. I like British humor, but I think. It is an acquired taste. I think that like certain people, if you don't understand where it's coming from or you don't get the the viewpoint of British humor, you're like, 
how is that funny? Like, sometimes I'll watch something with Scott, like a British TV show or something like on Netflix or whatever. And I'm sitting there, like, cracking up. And Scott's like, was that funny? I'm like, yes, it was funny. What the heck? I think the line is going to be, was that supposed to be funny? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Well, it's like... Uh... French comedies and Italian comedies kind of work the same because it's it's kind of a romance language kind of culture, Catholic culture and all of that. And they they often, there will be a French version of an Italian comedy or vice versa while that doesn't happen as much with with uh, America. Um, so, okay. Do you have anything else? I do. I have uh, one more. Uh, one is uh, Matilda. <laughs> did you see I, the new musical? I did see the new musical on Netflix, and that kind of inspired it. But I was like, I was like, I think it would be fun to to have it be like a one v all, where the like the principal, the trunchbull, is trying to like find the children, and so it would be like a hidden movement. I think. Yeah, I was like, that sounds like it would be fun, like roaming the school and like trying to like learn things while but <laughs> she's impeding your like learning process yeah and you can have helpers and obstacles like the the, the young teacher can help you and yeah maybe she distracts the, the the headmaster or whatever she is yeah um and i think that that movie and book are very quotable so there could be a lot of nice references. Yes. Like, uh, I'm old, you're young. I'm intelligent, you're stupid. <laughs> All that. I don't remember how it goes in English, but uh, it has a lot of very funny moments. Um, well, have you played um, back in the day um, Nance on the Run? No. So the idea was great because it was, again, an either movement in which many were hidden and one was chasing but it was a little machinose for what it was. And it was a fragile game in which it often ended up being not a challenge for one of the two teams. I don't remember which one. So we played it a few times and we kind of enjoyed it, but in the end we got rid of it. And the team could work. is basically the same team, right? Uh, one person controlling younger people. Uh, there is a lot that could be done with that and that could, could work. And the, the especially uh, the, the 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 characters are very they are not fantastic but uh, they are realistic but they are very iconic right there is the yes. little nerdy kid and the the big threatening uh, bully <laughs> supervisor and yep. so it, it would work. Okay, so those were the the. The movies that we would like to see made into films, so, uh, <laughs> and the games that we would like to make uh, see into board games. No, uh, the movies that we would like to um, see made into games. And again, I'm sure that some of those might have appeared in other games. Uh, Clue for sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in new new ways is interesting. And in general, I think we. Prospero Hall in, in particular has shown that you can make games that are strongly inspired by movies, um, quite close to the, the target audience, meaning that you don't take, I don't know, the Goonies and turn it into a 
anachrony kind of thing, right? They are right. still very accessible, uh, but be, still being, in general, quite good. Um, I'm particularly curious in that sense of... Um, Ooh, the Hitchcock one, the room, um, Rearview Window, uh, which is supposed to be a, kind of a, a spin on Dixit, where you, you give clues and they have to to um, to guess what you're trying to say, and they say it's very, very good. I haven't tried it because it's a Target exclusive distribution, and mm. so it came out after I moved, um, but... That's one that I'm interested in. And in general, there are a lot in recent years that I have liked. And even the ones that I didn't love, they are much, much better than what they would have been 20 years ago. For sure. So now we're moving on to our review of the day. Absolutely. Which is also on topic, which is the Godfather game, which is from Simon. Uh, but I need to get its full name, which is The Godfather Corleone's Empire. And that came out in 2017 by designer Eric Lang, uh, artist Nicholas Fructus, Carl Kapinski, Richard Wright, and like I said, it was published by Simon Games. So this game is a... Dudes on a Map game. Uh, very much that. So it's where you're trying to gain different influence over different areas of the board. You are trying to hide money away in a suitcase, which is my favorite part <laughs> of the game. Um, and those, the money that's in your suitcase at the end of the game is victory points. And uh, you, it plays over five rounds, uh, and the you get a lot of cards into your hand through resources, through different action spaces, through um, different workers. There are workers that are circled and circ workers that are square, and the square workers are more limited as to what they can do, and the circle workers get a lot more things. Um, so they're the more powerful workers. And it's uh, also area majority and influence. Um, there's also a very tiny auction at the end of each round um, to get uh, special workers that sometimes are even shared because the Act 1 uh, mayor or policeman or whoever can be also the Act 3 character that comes out. So um, sometimes they're shared. So there's a lot of things going on, but it's a really good, fun board game um, that has, like, economic portions of it. So uh, I think that's a good summary of, of what's going on. Yeah, and I think you touch also on what to me is the the main draw of it, the main hook of it. That is, is um, a area control game, true and true. You're trying to control. I think is the five boroughs of Manhattan, and you get points for controlling them and all of that. Yeah, which works on a worker placement kind of base. So when you're choosing where to go, 
you are both choosing what you're doing. Classic worker placement style, there are a few ways to replace or displace workers, but in general, if it's taken, you cannot go there. But you are also trying to place them where you control different areas. And so you're constantly balancing the two acts of what do I want to get with what do I want to control, Um, which I think is what makes it different than the other area control that Lang has done. Um, It's much simpler in terms of area control, but it adds this wrinkle of the worker placement, which I think is it's what makes it unique. Oh, and also completing jobs. I don't know if I said that in there. Oh, yeah, the, which are big... kind of missions, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the, um, and I, I am blanking right now. What do you do to complete them? Do you need people in specific places? Or do you need resources of some kind? You have to have the resources, which are cards. And you get the resources by placing your workers, but you can't complete missions if you don't have any workers left. You always have to mm-hmm. kind of hold some back a little bit. Um, I I think that the the game, it does have, you know, a little bit of murder in it. Um, and so that can be sensitive for some people. Or, you know, if, if, uh, if you're offended by things like that, this is probably not the game for you. Like, it, there's, like, missions that say, like, you know, drive by shooting and, you know, so you have to it it's a it's meant to be lighthearted um it's meant to be kind of like a take that almost like a like oh i'm going to retaliate and do this and so it's not meant to be like violent or you know that kind of thing but i can see a definite issue with you know some people yeah and i think that's what prevents me probably from completely enjoying it. I mean, um, almost all area control games involve the the theme of violence, right? There are Mm -hmm. very few exceptions, but in general, whether it is Vikings or Japanese warlords or... Or um, Root. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There is always the fact that you are fighting someone else. Uh, For some reason, gangsters feel a little too real to me not that the others are not yeah but um for some reason but um but it is to be said that there is no gore at all right there is not a car that shows bodies uh right across the street it is that that's the amount of things that you get is um drive-by shooting and then you can find when you kill someone you you push them into the river but that's the amount of which means basically dropping the mini in in a different area. The the the, the art there is no art on the cards. The art is all on the board, um, and so I think that the components are functional and um, that that didn't disturb me at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think that the theme works for what it wants to be. So if someone likes mobster movies, this is probably the best one I have played. Um, because Cash and Guns, um, which is fun, but has a more of a, a Reservoir Dogs kind of, of feeling. This is more about mobsters. Um, so for me, the theme doesn't do that much. But once you want that theme, it has everything. It has the 
uh, goons fighting for control of the territory, corrupt cops. Uh, again, the, what you already mentioned, the suitcase, which is a very easy um, to use component, but that provides such a, a, a tactile and visual feel to it. Um, and the minis, again, I haven't played it in a little while, but I remember the minis being being fine, right? They are not yeah. rising sun level, but they are not zombies kind of, of thing. They are neat and distinctive, um, which is, is not an easy thing to accomplish because mobsters in general, they they are people in suits, basically. It's not like there is a lot of variety, but the minis do work for the yeah. game, I think. So uh, the components get a big plus from me. Yeah, I like I like the components a lot. And yeah, the suitcase is is the best thing, I think. Um, so for pace and arc, I, I would say that um, the thing that makes it have a pace is revealing new worker placement spots because you reveal at first you reveal the 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 lesser worker placement spots and then at the end you can reveal um the more powerful worker placement spots and so maybe you want to gain control more control over those territories because then you'll get benefits for having control over it when people go there um so there's a lot of of that which and i think it's it's I think it's enough rounds, but also not too many rounds. I think it is a good amount. Is it uh, three, right? Uh, five. Five, okay. It's five total, because I think there's... Because I know there's three acts. Okay. Um, and I... Th- so I think it's um, one regular round, then, then act one, then act two, act three, and then uh, the final round. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I I think that this is the thing. The reason I I I like the fact that uh, the Godfather exists is mostly because um, it is one of the first examples of these new um, games that had a very quick pace. Uh, again, it's a game that develops a lot, but on your turn, your action is extremely simple. It's a simple worker placement game that leads into simple uh, area control and simple mission completion. So what you do on your turn is very small, very incremental. You do a very discrete thing. It's not a complicated worker placement. You don't have to spend five different resources to do uh, something and converting into different points, etc. And I think that that sense of I take an action, you take an action, the next person takes an action, and it's back to me but I feel like I'm doing something significant. That was um, something that be- then has become, I think, the the staple of Eric Lang. Um, mm-hmm. All of the games, it, even with what we were saying before about Rising Sun, but before you get to the war, the mandate is you do a, a little discrete thing, which is very adding up to the others. And this has the same thing. Each action you take is quick, it it moves, but you feel you are doing something, whether it is completing a mission or placing a person or displacing someone else's worker. And that's, that's very neat. I do also really like the hand management portion of it 
So because you you can only carry over a certain number of cards into each round, um, and you're trying to go into it with resources, you're also trying to go into it with missions, you're trying to go into it with workers, that the specialized workers that you might have won in an auction, and the number changes each round. So it's like, okay, and no one really knows what you kept. I mean, kind of. You can know like oh they didn't throw away their worker <laughs> so you know that they kept their worker but um but all of the cards have the same backing so it's it could be anything which i i do like mm -hmm. well, how do you feel about strategy and replayability so the the different worker placement things that come out are random the different uh, specialized workers that you can get are random. So I feel like those alone make it replayable in in my eyes. I think that also playing it with different people who enjoy this kind of theme um, are it can it can make the game very different. I th I feel um, if you like really like lean into the the like oh i'm putting your people in the river like <laughs> uh i think that it can it can be a lot of fun for sure yeah and i think it for a game like this where if we had described not the mechanism but just the theme someone could have imagined a lot of dice a lot of random resolution it is quite strategic um because things come out randomly, you don't know exactly what's coming out, but when you do things on your turn, there is very little randomness. You mm -hmm. draw cards from the deck, so you don't know exactly what you're getting, but your actions do what they do. You don't have a random resolution of your action. So that's that's definitely a strategic game, I would say. For me, replayability was not that high, mostly because of the missions you often run through a lot of the missions and they don't feel that much different, mm -hmm. even in one game. And so when you do it multiple times, it's it's kind of repetitive on that. But it must be said that also for a game of this type, I don't remember it being particularly long. No. Um, it moves ahead. Um, I think every time I've played it, I've played it with three players. Um, I read that it's best at four, which would probably make it a little longer, but also a little more uh, fought over. So yes. maybe that could add replayability as well. Right. I think, um, too, when I've... I think the times that you and I and Anna have played it, uh, you both really focused on missions, and I got very distracted by the, like, area control portion of it so you guys were over there completing mission completing mission and i'm like no i'm getting rid of this i'm getting rid of this i'm trying to do this and so i feel like you and anna like focused so hard on missions and you guys ran through the deck and i did not <laughs> so uh yeah no i i know what you're saying though because i remember you guys completed like an obscene amount of missions we can be somewhat obscene at times, yeah. <laughs> uh, the designer, I mean, I've mentioned it before, is Eric Lang. We have spoken literally for two episodes uh, about 
Harry Klang back in season one. But again, I think that this is, um, I don't know the dates exactly, but I feel quite confident saying that this comes at the cusp, at the beginning of his of his big success, right? He had already done successful games, Blood Rage being the obvious one and the others, but then he comes out with this and then Rising Sun and then Tulu, Death May Die and Ankh and Victorian Masterminds and a, a lot of other things. So it's where he's coming of the, the the success of Blood Rage and getting into uh, stardom. Um, I don't know the artist at all. Um, I don't know if they have done anything else that I have. Oh, um, Nicolas Fructus has done Kemet and Takenoko. Very different feelings. Zombicide. But... Zombicide, okay. So he's a big, big... Uh... Cthulhu, Death May Die, yeah. Ankh. Uh, a lot of things for both Fantasy Flight, Days of Wonder, and Simon. So definitely, I should know him. As, Carl as Kapinski thing. has done Cthulhu: Death May Die. The others. Oh, and some... he worked with both Games Workshop and Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, some okay. magic. Yeah. And Richard Wright, Cthulhu: Death May Die, Blood Bowl, Magic, Magic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So both all, all of them big big company kind of of artists. Um, I like the art in the game, as I said before on the board. It works. It's also not something that I think anyone will ever see and say, "Oh, I need to find other games by this uh, artist." Like like it happens with Vincent Dutre or Yano Tool. It, right. it works. It works. The the cover is very iconic. It's a Marlon Brando, but it's not a photo. Is it's um what you call it? Uh, <laughs> an art, a realistic art uh, that works very well for the game. There is less art than in other games of this ilk because again the missions are very minimalist. Uh, there is art for the characters that come out, but uh, I think they went with uh, recreating the feeling of the movie, and it came out very well uh-huh. any game that you would compare it to I don't know I, I think it's a very different unique game I agree because all of the comparisons that I'm thinking of are connected to the theme and not to to what the game is like. For example, I played uh, Nothing Personal back in the day, which was uh, Tom Vassell's big uh, board game. And you are trying to rise to the ranks of the mob, but so it's a positioning people into an, basically a diagram of the mob, and it has nothing to do with this. Oh, there is Capo dei Capi and things like that uh, that often are more about eliminating other players rather than eliminating their influence in the city. Um, one that could challenge the status of this as, again, m- by far my favorite g- gangster game, even if I don't like gangsters in particular, is Scarface, which is supposed to come out this year. It was a big, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or something else of that ilk, uh, like game found and things like that. Um Scarface, I think it's Scarface. Uh, yeah, that's what it says, Scarface, 1920. 
exactly and it looked like a very very nice production um again not my area of um passion so i skipped on it but it looks like a very solid game and so i'm interested to see a if it's good and b whether it has a similar feeling because it says blends worker placement with deck building mechanics, so quite quite different. Although there is also listed area majority and end game bonuses, so I don't know how close it will be to to this. Yeah. And if it is, I would be curious to see how how it, it the comparison plays out, basically. Oh my! It looks like <laughs> it's expensive. Quite oh yeah, expensive. yeah. It was a big, big Kickstarter, I think. Uh, but... Um, the other thing that I will say, what I, which I just thought of, um, so the resources that you use are money, guns, and alcohol, and sometimes in the later rounds, the fourth wild resource that can be used is uh, drugs which, again, could be a trigger warning for people. So, um, like I said, for some people, you know, there are, there are things like that. And I think that we need to talk about those things, you know, more in, in board gaming about things that, you know, might be problematic for some people or might be, you know, just leave a bad taste in their mouth. So, like, I think it's good to be upfront with those kinds of things. I absolutely agree, although I must say for this game in particular, I mean, it's certainly not uh, not a bad idea to, to mention it, although I would be a little surprised by someone who wants to play a game in which you play a mobster, right? You're not chasing right. down monsters, you're not uh, witnessing them like, as a journalist or something. You are actually the mobster inspired by uh, the movie and then being surprised by the unpleasantness of it for example when um chronicles of crime had a couple of of cases where there were some sensitive topics that's different right you are from the point of view of the good guys and so sure you are dealing with something one, one thing is a very clean murder and the other one is something that involves drugs or prostitution or something like that sure. it's a little stronger here is you are trying to vie to be the most successful mobster and mafia <laughs> don in New York. Um, it, it will come with, with some of it. And again, I think that the topics are there. Uh, drugs, again, is I pay two drugs and I gain two drugs and something like that. It's not, out, it's not a black cube. It's called drugs. Um, but at the same time, it's very, very abstracted. You're right. not it's a card. selling drugs to the addict. You are spending drugs to get money uh, and you are removing people from the board. It is not like you have to kill them a little bit at a time or blackmailing the mayor or anything right. like But yeah. Um, so I, I let you uh, conclude. I, I want to restate that it's my favorite mobster game that I've played, uh, even if I'm not a big fan. is definitely a game that not only I would, but I have played multiple times uh, because it it works and it doesn't. I know it's a, a kind of a cliche sentence, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. It it develops quickly. You are in the midst of fighting for a position from 
round one and by round three you have a clear idea of what you want the end game to look like in terms of controlling and so even if the theme doesn't gronk with me much you get taken by the mechanics of the game quite quickly even as an air control is not my favorite um but again considering that both of those things are not my favorite uh, thing is surprising how, how much I don't dislike it because there are a lot of games that don't have any strikes against them and I don't like <laughs> while this has two big ones air control not my favorite thing mobsters definitely not my thing and still it's a game I have good memories of yeah so for me um, I really like this game I really I specifically chose to talk about it today uh, and I think that, you know, it's funny. I've actually never seen The Godfather. What? I've never seen it. You should have led with that. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen it, and I really like this game. Um, I think it's very dynamic. I think that things are constantly changing. So even when it's not your turn, you're very engaged because the, the board state can change from your turn to the time it gets back to you, it can be completely different. And I think that it's a lot of fun. I think it is definitely lighter because there are some area control games where, you know, you are working and and building and doing all these things, but you can't really affect the board state. But this is, like I said, very dynamic. Things can completely be changed by the time it gets back to your turn. So you always want to pay attention to what the other people are doing, where they're going, what they're vying for. And so I think that it is really fast paced. There's a lot of little choices that make it into a very rewarding game. And I feel like at the end, it's because you're doing all these little things and you're not really paying attention to the end game, which again is money in the suitcase because nothing else matters except for the money that you get physically into the suitcase. Uh, You never really know because to keep track of all those different people's money, because you're not only putting money in, but you're also taking money out at certain times. People are taking cards like blindly from their suitcase at certain times. So it's a whole bunch of different things going on. So it's, it's always fun at the very end to open the suitcase, which is a metal like mint kind of container. And you, you open it and you're, you're counting your, your money and you're getting the final, you know, money from the areas of influence. And you're like, all right, this is my final total. And it's always really rewarding despite, you know, all these little things, like we said, doing the little missions, doing area control, getting, getting uh, resources. It's, a lot of fun and I very highly recommend it. It's probably one of my top 20 games that I've, that I've played. Um, And I'm excited to play it again soon. So, so do you know if it's in print? Oh no, not me recommending a out of print board game. And by the way, if I get uh, homework for to watch 95, you brought it up on yourself that you have 
I don't know, two months to watch The Godfather. I mean, right. I know it's not, it's not as easy of a game of a movie. It's not like you say, oh, it's 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> Let's watch it while we cook, right? I realize that. So you get two months. Okay, okay. Report back at the end of, of March. Okay, before uh, bringing... And th- this, again, was uh, Godfather by uh, Eric Lang for Simon. Um, before bringing the episode to the close, there was something that we used to do in the first uh, few episodes that I, I, I was really missing and I wanted to try and see whether we could bring it back, which was something we are excited uh, for. It spiraled out of control a little bit when we went to a bunch of uh, different Kickstarters and that became a, a too long of a segment, hence why we, we cut it. And so I was thinking we could try to to mention one thing, which for me is very difficult because when I start thinking about things I'm excited about, I think of a lot of them. But one thing uh, that we are excited about, whether it is an event or a game, or a game that we have and want to play, a game that we have just heard about, a game that we're waiting for, um, and it needs to be exciting. So it cannot be the frustration of, I still haven't gotten this after. <laughs> um, so... Um, why don't you start us off with, with something you're excited about? Uh, so I don't know if you can see this here, what this game is. It's upside down, so it's extra tricky. I can, I can. It's Woodcraft. Yes, so I am excited to play that game. I, I got it. Uh, it was out of stock and kind of difficult to get at a few places. So I, I kept you know hunting the different places and got a notification that it was back in stock, so I hurried up and, and grabbed it. And you generally really like Vladimir Suchi, right? So it should be up yes. your alley. Yes, yes. I'm I, a little, little worried about how complex it looks or sounds when I was uh, reading it. Um, and so I don't know how quickly I will get that to the table, but... Uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited for it, and I do really like his game. So, yeah, there are certain designers that make a big point that they want to make their games a little more accessible, a little more streamlined. Eric Lang says a lot that now he's focusing on um, not mass market, but more family oriented, fun kind of things. I think that in a different way, but even Uwe Rosenberg has gotten not simpler, but a little more streamlined. Vladimir Sushi doesn't seem to be at all um, perturbed <laughs> by this concept. It is just, I will make it more complicated because Praga and Underwater City were a little... They were too light. For you simpletons. So now we will give you this. It's, it's, it's the la certification of, of, of Vladimir Sushi. So uh, we'll see how that goes. For me, it's... Um, I read, and I, I know that it's coming at some point, not to me, but I don't know if I will buy it or not, but is The Queen's Dilemma. Um, so as people can go back and dig in season two, we played through The King's Dilemma, which was at the same time a lot of fun. We played it a lot. We played it without having to force ourselves to, but also let us down bigly (laughs) (laughs) at the end and also going looking back there were a lot of moments in which we felt we were not playing the narrative but just doing the tracks so if they are able to keep that very interesting way of 
telling a story, which was to make it very simple. Whenever you unlocked a subplot, you would open a, a, a little envelope that were 10 cards or so and shuffle them in the big event deck so you didn't know which subplot would become relevant in the next turn, but you were going through all of them. So maybe the war with the neighbor kingdom would be shelved for two entire games, and then you will have a lot of events on that war in the third game. Or the discovering of a temple would be always present a little bit in each game, and whatever it is, if they can keep that and make the game a little more interesting, the dynamics in which you inter interact with the other players a little more, a little less gameable you could you could game the system a little bit too much mm -hmm. so there were often things that you were doing not to win the the moment or win the round but just so also oh, i force you to do this so you do something and i gain more resources to spend on later on it felt very anti but if they can merge a good exciting resolution with that narrative style that would be very good um there are some things that worry me. For example, they included a physical aspect of the map, which is great per se, but that was not the problem of the first one. The problem no. of the first one was not that I didn't know where my kingdom was or whatever. And so if beside that, they also addressed what I think was a common criticism. It wasn't just our impression. It could turn out to be very, very good. I will certainly wait to hear what, what other people think before jumping into a campaign of it, but I'm very excited for it. Scott for forbade me from backing it. <laughs> I was so you foreboding. Uh, <laughs> he he was like, I can't do that again. Um, so Scott is not as much of a board gamer as we are. Uh, you, Anna, and I, and he had less of an enjoyable experience than perhaps the rest of us did, I feel. He really enjoyed the story portion, like learning about the different stories and, and kind of voting to get new storylines out. I think he really enjoyed that part. Like you said, the narrative portion, but I, I think that, like you said, the gaming aspect of it just really was kind of disappointing so it was very dry for a game that was so narrative because in the end you could have all of this story and that was so interesting but it always came down to okay i want the diamond which is basically the squared symbol to go up and the money to go down so i will do this and even the voting didn't feel like building consensus even among the very few players it was oh, I will bid three so that if you want to outbid me, you will spend four and I will get two. And and there was a lot of, oh, I will pass first because if I pass first, I get bonus power or whatever it was. Uh -huh. So there were a lot of these things. But but again, um, I will keep an eye on this. I mean, they do say that they have a new ideology system which balances how your your different political ideologies, which I feel like that was really a part that we didn't care for, which was moving the tracks a certain way. Yeah, the, and also from the very beginning, there were like some morally very 
despicable choices that we just did because we had to. So it wasn't even a, oh, I am enjoying playing the, the role of the evil character in the story. It's just, sure, I, I want to do war because I need the track to move up. Uh, yeah. Or I, I want to forbid witchcraft because otherwise the tracks move in a way that I don't like. And, and that wasn't even consistent. It's not like I am the faction that wants witches, and so I will keep pushing for witchcraft. Right. It was, Today I don't want witchcraft because because my card says so, and that's. I think that's I think that's what they're trying to mitigate with this ideology system, and it also says a new keyword system, which allows the game to keep track of your personal choices. An, oh, unex, an unexpected act of forgiveness could secure you the eternal gratitude of the people, but a radical resolution could tarnish your reputation forever. So, I mean, making that more. Uh, consistent throughout i think would be very very much more thematic and bring bring it in uh much better yeah it will take a lot to convince me to play this um but if they did that would mean that i would be playing something that could be very very good for me mm -hmm. do you have any other games that you like that are that have the storytelling kind of mechanic um no not in which you make real choice well yeah eldritch horror often ask you to make a choice based on the situation and but that's more of a narrative game the other one that does something similar to this is that of winter but i don't like that of winter but the crossroad system had a similar thing of having to make a choice in the moment that is more thematic than not so I like that part of the game. I didn't like the rest. But yeah, it, it, that's the point. It sounded very unique because it's not a role-playing game. You're not pretending there are specific rules, but the story was so strong. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. And I would like to thank everyone for listening and joining us today. Uh, I did look for the, the podcast poll results. And I didn't have any votes on them. To be fair, I couldn't find it. So I think maybe it's just in a difficult location. I'm going to open up the poll again. It's I think it's through Spotify. So I'm going to try and do it again. And we'll see if we can get some action in there. Uh, but yeah, so... Um, Go to the page on Spotify where the podcast is posted. Yes, yes. I think okay. that's that's where it will be. So um, thank you as always. Uh, and thank you for being patient with us. Uh, as you may or may not know, this is our side hobby. And we do not do this for any sort of monetary <laughs> gain or clout. Uh, uh, we are just doing this because we enjoy talking about board games. And we uh, love sharing our thoughts with you all. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, signing out, as always, is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you like it, please leave us a review on wherever you listen to. Um, and you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram, on BGG, or at um, BorgenGambit at uh, gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Jackie. And I'm Nathan. Bye-bye. Good day. Bye.